Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guest today is Jen Day, entrepreneur and Nebraska State Senator for District 49 and the area of West Sarpy County. Our conversation is being recorded today by Zoom. Senator Day was sworn into office in 2021 and represents District 49 and the area of West Sarpy County. Born and raised in our home district, she has spent her lifetime building community and advocating for social justice issues. She co-founded Artists Strength and Fitness in 2013 with her husband, John, and graduated with a degree in political science at the University of Nebraska, Omaha, in 2016. As a business owner, activist, and mother of two boys, she initially sought a legislative seat to address the needs of her community, specifically working-class families. Senator Day, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stuart. I appreciate that. I wanted to ask the immediate question, especially given how toxic politics feels, why did you run for office? Yeah, so I had been involved in activism and advocacy for about 10 years. And um, like you mentioned in my bio, I had gone back to school to get a BS in political science um, mostly just because I wanted to understand more about government and and how things worked and and have a, a deeper understanding of policy um, from you know an educational perspective. You know, I from there, you know, again, I'm a business owner, and so I thought, you know, maybe on the side, I would I would work on campaigns or or be a campaign manager or something like that. I never really saw myself as a candidate. I am naturally very introverted and um and again, you know, like the toxicity of, of politics in the last several years it made me very wary of being a candidate myself. But the reality is is that those jobs, you know, working on campaigns are really hard to come by in Nebraska and it's kind of an unstable a career path to take. You know, I, I had a special interest in state policy and, and a lot of the issues that are handled at the state level and had been sort of dissatisfied with the representative that we had in my district. Saw that he was running for state treasurer. And so there was going to be a vacancy for the governor to appoint someone I applied for the vacancy knowing that I wouldn't be chosen by the governor because he and I don't really align politically. Um, So I knew, again, that someone would be chosen and that we were going to need somebody to run against whoever the appointee was. In particular, once I figured out that whoever was appointed, well, the, the young man that was appointed was previously working for the previous representative, John Moranti. And it was kind of this really, I, I don't know, I, I, I just didn't like the whole situation of ushering someone into a seat, essentially, knowing that he didn't live in the district. So, uh, you know, I knew some, we needed somebody to run against him in 2020, and, and nobody was really willing to do it. And so at that point, I had watched 
friends run for legislature and be successful. And, and I had seen what they had gone through and um, it was kind of a, 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 a spur of the moment decision where John and I, t- my husband and I talked about it and I was like, well, if nobody else is going to do it, then I guess I'll do it myself. You know, I knew the history of the district and I knew that it would be very potentially unlikely that I could win. But, you know, when I, when I made the decision to run, I was like, you know, maybe I'll just move the needle a little bit. Cause I feel like a lot of us get ignored down here. You know, people don't knock on our doors. We don't get people canvassing. We don't get people engaging our community and, in, in what's going on in the legislature. And, and I felt like that was, that was important to do it. Even if, even if I could just get people discussing what was important to them in terms of state policy, that would be a win for me. So you made this leap of faith and you decided or you discerned that no one else was going to run against this, what feels like an issue of nepotism. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was your campaign like? You know, What was the experience of campaigning like? We decided to get in very early. So it was very, very long. I announced my candidacy shortly after Senator Legrone was appointed. Um, so I announced in December, I had my campaign kickoff in March of 2019. It was long and exhausting. My husband was also um, finishing his master's at the time. He was a grad assistant at UNO. We owned a business. We have two young kids. There was a lot going on in our lives and it was tough especially because I was running against someone who was very well-funded, you know, I knew that we were going to have to do a lot of real work. You know, I knew there was going to be a lot of door knocking and engaging in the community so that we could get our name out there and let people know what we stood for. You know, it's hard to explain what a campaign is like, because it's just, it spans the spectrum from really, really, really low, awful moments where you think you can't go on, you know, and you're not going to make it and you're not sure if you want to keep going to literally some of the best moments of my life, you know, talking to people and, and meeting people and, and having them put their trust in you to do what's right for them and their families is something that very few people get to experience in their lives. You know, so overall it was, it's long, it's exhausting. It's an enormous amount of work. It was a lot of stress on my family and my relationship with my husband, but, um, it was, I mean, hands down a hundred percent worth it. It's easy to speak out about the way I live, but it's a 24 carat dream. No supermodel in my dirty jeans, but in my 24 inches heels. I am not pretending. I'm born like this, a game for the reckless. It's so extreme, and I don't really care. I don't really care, yeah. I don't really care. I don't really care, yeah. They're calling me a mad woman, mad woman, mad woman. Calling me a mad woman, mad woman. I just wonder if you have an illustration of, you know, a particular experience that might paint the picture of what was a low moment, like a really low moment where you thought, I, I just can't do this anymore. 
to a really, really high moment where you thought this is absolutely um, a calling. I have to do this. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there were so many moments that were just so difficult. I mean, one of the big, big, big parts of, of running a campaign, unfortunately, is asking for money. That was really, really hard for me because nobody, I wasn't getting any support really. Um, I would spend, you know, six hours, eight hours a day making phone calls, asking for donations for my campaign um, to have nothing at the end of the day. Um, I had a couple of people, you know, political operatives or, or whatever you would call them that did believe in me that were, that were working with me, but really there was only maybe one or two of those people and I was getting no's left and right. I was getting ignored by virtually everybody. Um, there was moments where it was like, it felt like I was the only person, you know, that thought that I could do it. And that's really hard because it felt like I had, I had no support from the outside. I had no financial support and I didn't know how I was going to possibly, you know, go up against again, this very well-funded young man, you know, I'm trying to think of a particular moment, but there was just so many of those days. I was, uh, I was reading a book by Samantha Power. Um, she used to work under President Obama, um, and she had a quote in her book that I had to write down on a piece of paper and carry it in my purse with me that specifically talked about being your own advocate because you'll get to points in your life where you'll look around and there's nobody. <laughs> there's nobody to be your cheerleader. There's nobody who believes in you, it feels like. Um, and you'll have people telling you no left and right. And I had to pull that out multiple times and read it because it was really powerful to me um, to realize that like, you know, sometimes that's just going to be the way it is. When you're doing really difficult things, you have to be comfortable with being told no, but you also have to be really comfortable with being the only advocate for yourself. And you have to fill the gaps where other people are, are, you know, are not there for you. You have to be the one that goes to the door and says, absolutely. I'm the best choice. You have to be the one that makes the phone calls and says, absolutely. You should support me. And this is why. And I think that's the thing about campaigning, especially in a race like this, that really forces you to grow up. I would have never made it if I hadn't you know, I, I hate the phrase of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, but that's really ended up what, what I had to do was because I, there was so little support from the outside, even after I won the primary. I mean, I won the primary by a little over six points. You know, I, I thought that that would, that would be the turning of the tides and people would come rushing in and it didn't happen. Um, it's really, really devastating. It's really, really hard when nobody believes in you, nobody believed that I could do it. I was, I was laughed at. I, I mean, people told me that I, that it just wasn't going to happen. And, and I think that that strengthened my resolve even more though, you know, where I was like, well, in the beginning, I wasn't sure if I could do it either, but now everybody's telling me that I can't do it. So now I really have to do it. You know, um, that was the hardest part was just such a lack of support from people who were quote unquote in the know 
and not having a lot of people believe in me and having to really be my own strongest advocate. It's really hard to call somebody and say, Hey, I think that you should give me $250 and then articulate why that is, and then have them say, well, no, you know, and do that day in, day out. It's really, really hard. Um, You really have to learn how to believe in yourself and how to work up the energy and the strength to make those difficult asks and and to keep going day in, day out. I'm going to jump straight into that, the misogyny of it all. Mm -hmm. How much of that lack of support, how much of what you encountered in the campaign, and obviously I want to talk about your experience in uh, the unicameral, but how much of this have you faced because you're a woman and whether or not you choose to identify any of your policy preferences and priorities and what you want to achieve through the lens of gender, that's probably at this point irrelevant. I'm just curious what you had to face in that regard that perhaps is not being faced by uh, you know, uh, your opposition in the, in the campaign and certainly by your fellow senators. There's, I mean, it's again, hard to explain how much of that, you know, I've been involved in gender-related politics previous to running a campaign. So I knew, I was aware of how that feels and, and being a woman in strength and conditioning and coaching athletes in strength sports and being a strength athlete myself, I had spent years dealing with people brushing me off or, or discounting my intelligence simply because I'm a woman. It's sometimes I feel like it's it's compacted too. I mean, I'm short. I'm I'm less than five feet tall, and you know, I I feel like I'm a nice person. And and sometimes I I think being a woman and being small, um, and trying to be very respectful of other people, people just kind of ignore you. And I think a lot of that was, I think that that definitely impacted how people treated me during my campaign, and my credibility. Um, I didn't have any background in politics either. So I think that that was part of it. And I know absolutely 100%. I think that was one of the hardest things to watch was there was this young man who had no life experience outside of working in politics, you know, didn't live in the district, doesn't have a family, didn't own a home. He really has no personal stake in what happens in Lincoln. And he's given the benefit of the doubt all the time. You know, well, we think he can win because this, 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 this. And, and I'm over here, like, listen, like I'm, I'm approaching 40 years old. You know, I own a business. I have a family. Like I've, I've, I've seen it, you know, I've, I've experienced it and people just keep telling, you no. And, and I definitely think that being a woman plays a huge part in that. Unfortunately, that's just the reality of how things are right now. Um, but again, it's one of those things too, that, that gives you all the more motivation to keep doing it. Right. Because eventually cross my fingers, eventually we have to get to the point where that's not the case anymore. We're never going to get to that point if I give up, you know, Um, it's hard to say it because it's like, you know, women shouldn't have to put themselves through the ringer in order to do things that 
you know, men are, are sort of to, to get the benefit of the doubt. Like we, sh- we shouldn't have to do that, but unfortunately we do. And, but I knew that going into it. Knowing of course, doesn't make things right, but um, no, no. But, yeah. And, and it doesn't make it hurt any less. Like, you know, it, the other thing that was really funny is, is people, Again, people, I think people see my face or, or they see that I'm short or that, so that I'm small or, and that I'm a woman. And, and, and then I have conversations with people and they're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you're so smart or <laughs> it's so, you know, oh, she's just, it's, it's, it's like, I, no one ever doubts the intelligence of a man who is in politics. It's it's like, it's like, it's a given they can do the, like, I mean, you're a man and I'm, I, I'm, I don't want to offend you here, but we see it all the time. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest turning points was 2016, where it's like, you have a completely unqualified man who has no integrity, who says the most awful things and does the most awful things. And again, he's given the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, well, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We don't think he's going to be that way. You know, we're going to, it's, it's the most unbelievable thing to watch it happen. You know, when, when people can do awful things and say the silliest, least intelligent things and be given the benefit of the doubt simply because of their gender, um, and vice versa, right? Like you have to work so hard. I mean, you, you have to work so hard as a woman and I'm a white woman. So I have those privileges given to me, you know, it's even more difficult for women of color. You know, it's, you have to work a hundred times as hard to get to the same point, to get to a shred of the same amount of credibility that's given to a man. Um, and that's so depressing, <laughs> But that's the unfortunate reality of how it is right now. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank and, you. Um, but now you find yourself as, you know, a new state senator. What was your initial experience like entering the unicameral? And then perhaps later we can think about, you know, looking back, what have you learned? But to start with, what, what was it like going into the state senate for the first um, first time? You know, I think uh, my class and especially those of us that were true freshmen um, in this class had a different experience because of COVID. So we didn't get to do a lot of the events that other classes, you know, like the social events and, and meeting everybody. We didn't get to do any of that. So the first day of session was the first time I had met 
the majority of the body. Everyone is really lovely. I mean, everyone, you know, there's maybe one person in the body that I just can't seem to get along with, but overwhelmingly everyone was, was kind and, and welcoming. Um, I was surprised by that. I, I had expected people to be a little bit more like, you know, uh, you, you knocked out one of our buddies and were upset about that, but I really didn't get that from hardly anyone. Um, but I will say that again, the lack of understanding of who I am and, and my abilities. And, um, I would say even the misogyny started on, on in the early days, day one, day two, day three, people had warned me a little bit about that. Other, other, uh, women senators had said, this is one of the most misogynistic places that you'll ever work. Um, and I was like, Oh, you know, I've dealt with it before. (laughs) Um, but it's really, really true. I mean, each person in that body is there. Everybody's a free agent, you know, they're all there because they have their own political careers and, and their own aspirations. And so it's really, it's really difficult. Like, you know, you want to trust everybody and they want to trust you, but, but you learn very quickly that like, that's kind of not the case. Um, You really have to work really, really hard to get your own work done. Um, But I would, I would say um, I made friends with people that I wasn't expecting to make friends with. And I really enjoyed the early days of the session. It was, it was just really nice to meet people to show them who I was, to show them that I was there because I wanted to work hard and, and I wasn't there to, you know, pee in anybody's Cheerios or any of that. I, I was, I was there because I like, I'm here to be friendly and respectful. And cause I think that people had heard the opposite of that about me, you know, and, and they thought the opposite of that about me and who I was politically, ideologically. Um, and so it would just, it was, it was really lovely in the beginning of the session. So I was very nervous, but, but people were very warm and welcoming. I love the phrase in the beginning. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and so one of the reasons why I know I'm not cut out for anything like politics is the need to be pragmatic and to be willing mm-hmm. to compromise. And not only has compromise become a dirty word, but the ability to perceive that making some progress is better than making no progress because you can't agree on any progress. Right. You also mentioned trust as well um, and how much you want to earn that and receive that from your colleagues. But again, it's difficult. Everybody has different constituencies to represent. What happens next? Yeah. So- you know, it was the thing that was really surprising to me was how much work it is to get even the smallest things done. Um, and part of that is that I'm a Democrat, so we are in the minority in the body and I am new and there are some people that don't trust me. Um, and so it took an enormous amount of work for me to get my bills on an executive agenda just to be discussed by the committee and then to get it out of committee so that it could get to the floor. I will say that the chairs of both of the committees that I'm on, um, Health and Human Services is Senator John Arch 
and education is, is Senator Lynn Walls. They were wonderful to work with. They run their committees differently. And again, Senator Arch and I are not on the same, uh, we're, we're not a part of the same party. Ideologically, we don't ag- agree on certain things, but overall, he was really great to work with in terms of working with me with my bills. And I adore Lynn Walls, and she was incredible to work with. Um, committee work is a lot of work getting your committee members to trust you. Um, So, you know, I think we spent, gosh, I don't even know the first couple of months doing all day committee hearings. Um, We weren't debating anything on the floor. And that was again, because of COVID, um, it was a completely different schedule. So we were really engulfed in what we were doing in our committees, um, which was okay. I mean, it was tiring and the days were long. But again, it was just, it was, it's a lot of work. You know, you have these bills that I I think I introduced 12 and you have your introduction to the committee and then not all of those bills are going to get on an executive agenda to be discussed by the committee. Like the Senator has to work to discuss with the chair to make that happen. You have to show that you have the votes to get it out um, in some committees So it just, there's a lot of emailing, there's a lot of discussions, there's a lot of face-to-face meetings. Um, I don't know. I I love the work though. It's so much work and there's so much drama. Oh my gosh. The drama in this place is off the wall. Like there's so much drama. It, but I think that that's part of, again, why I wanted this seat and why I wanted to run was because I just am tired of that brand of politics. (laughs) I'm tired of it. It's so like, can we just be kind to each other? Like, why do we have to be so awful? You know, if we disagree on something politically, that's fine. But that doesn't mean we have to be awful to each other. Like there's no reason for that. I genuinely believe like you were saying about compromise doing the work and, and, and functioning as a part of the institution, the only way, the only way that we're going to get the big stuff is if we start working on the small stuff and we start having face-to-face conversations with people that we don't agree with. You have to be willing to do that type of emotional labor. It's exhausting. It's tiring. But for me, I think that that's the only way to continue to move forward is if you're willing to do that work.
the end of the day, you ended up with at least three three bills. Yep, I had three that became, that passed. Yeah, yeah, and and I was very happy with that. Um, you know, I wanted to get one. <laughs> that was my goal. I wasn't sure if I could get one. Um, I wanted to get my priority bill passed, but I got three, and they're three great bills, and I was very happy with that. Um, it, it sounds silly, but like under under the balconies in the chamber a lot of times you know during debate you know we sit in there for hours and hours a day so people get up out of their chairs and stuff you know the democrats will go under one side of the balcony and republicans will go under the other side of the balcony and i didn't really realize that that was the case so you know i just went under the balcony on my side of the chamber which is apparently the republican <laughs> under underneath the balcony so you know, I, I figured that out by the end of session, but I would sit on underneath the balcony on my side and just chat with people. You know, I got to know people and it was really, really great. And I think that that was part of it too, where I had several, a handful of conversations with Senator Mike Groney, who, you know, going into this, I had watched him from the outside for years and just he and I, don't see eye to eye. I'll just say it that way, but he and I don't see eye to eye on, on a whole host of things. Um, you know, but we were debating something one day on the floor and he said something on the mic and I said something on the mic. And, and then I went under overneath the balcony and he came over to me and he's like, you know, Jen, I just, I really appreciate your passion. Like, he's like, we don't, we don't agree, but you know, and it was, that was kind of started this thing where, People don't see the stuff that happens off the mic underneath the balcony. Um, we see these characters that people play. I think that that's unfortunate because you don't see the the behind the scenes collegiality. And as as much as Mike Groney rails against the concept of collegiality on the mic, he's a really lovely person to talk to off the mic. Um, again, we don't agree ideologically, but people don't see that stuff. And I think that that's really unfortunate. And I think that that was part of it too, right? Is I'm willing to sit and talk to Mike Groney, you know, I'm, I'm willing to sit and talk to Luann Linehan, who, you know, we, I, she was one of the reasons I got involved in this race was because of her scholarship tax credit bill that she keeps bringing back that I testified against multiple times, multiple times as a mother before I was even a candidate. But I sat and talked to her. She was a, a lovely mentor. She provided tips and thoughts and, and she helped me navigate certain really difficult votes, including a vote on her bill <laughs> um, that I filibustered. And, you know, I think that's part of it. I could be totally wrong. I only have one session under my belt, so who knows what's coming for me. Um, but I, I genuinely believe that we can cultivate a new brand of politics that allows us to, at the very least, be respectful of our colleagues and respectful of people who don't agree with us politically in order to get real change done to get something substantive done. If we keep our focus on the people that we represent and what they need, instead of putting our focus on which party is winning this fight or who said this or what's going on on social media. And I think that that's part of, of being successful in a body like the Nebraska unicameral. So let me ask the opposing question then, the axiom about power corrupting. How are you going to stay grounded 
how are you going to hold on to this optimistic aspiration that you sure. that you committed to? That's a great question. Um, and it's funny because I've talked about that a little bit, even just, I talked about it with my husband quite a bit um, because, you know, the hard part. And, and I think that, I think that it's not just power that corrupts people, but when you become an elected official and you become visible to people, um, you become sort of a receptacle for, for the things that they're angry about. Um, and that's okay. People are very angry and they're very upset with a lot of the stuff that's going on right now. Um, but it also, I think when you read emails and, and social media comments day in, day out, um, and you get threats from people, I think you start to try to like remove yourself from being accessible. Um, and so trying to balance being accessible as, as a representative with sort of protecting myself from constantly reading and hearing things about me that are really awful. Um, I think as part of it is letting my staff take care of some of that stuff and filtering things out for me and bringing me the important stuff. Um, but also, you know, it's really easy to get in sucked into the bubble, you know, of for me, it's the Nebraska legislature, right? You know, session is 90 days or 60 days and we're there for really long days. And, you know, again, there's so much in inside drama that's going on. And this person said this, and this person's working on this, that it's really easy to get sucked into that. And you forget that there's literally tens of thousands of people in my district that are not seeing any of that stuff going on. And not only that, but they don't care. I think when you get hyper-focused on the inner workings, you lose sight of what the whole point of you being there is, right? You forget that like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, you know, the, the, the positions of leadership that are being, you know, jockeyed for and, and all of this within the legislature, who, which conference did you go to and, and, and all of this, it's like, am I producing work? that makes people's lives better, it has to be the bottom line, right? And I think that that's part of not allowing the power or whatever to corrupt you is that like, am I producing legislation that it makes for great headlines? And, you know, like I see bills that get passed and I'm like, what a waste of our time. We have so many important things that we should be working on. I don't, I don't want to do that. I want, I want to make sure that at the end of the day, I can go home and I can look my kids in the eye and know that what I'm doing is going to be making their lives better down the road and making Nebraska a better place to live for everybody. Am I doing that? If I'm not, then I'm on the wrong path. And, and, and you can't get sucked into the, the inner drama because people don't know, people don't care all they care about is, is whether or not you're doing stuff that, that improves their lives. That's your job. I think those things help me keep me focused on, on the, on the good stuff. (laughs) I'm not going to be.
go about um, maintaining some degree of self-care. But also, as you said, you are an entrepreneur and you run a business. And so being an elected official, you have a responsibility to your constituents. And so I'm also curious not only about your own self-care and maintaining a, you know, a sense of well-being, but how you're also turning to your business and making sure that you can run a business while also honoring the commitment you made as a public servant. Yeah. So, I mean, I've learned to rely on my staff. I think I have two really incredible staff members, um, Sam Hoopert and Katie Esters. Um, they have been critical in allowing me a little bit of that self-care is they have experience within um, the legislature previous to me coming in. So um, they've been wonderful at, at filtering things and, and shielding me from some of that stuff because it's really painful. It doesn't matter how many times somebody has sent you an angry email or said something nasty to you or about you. Every time you get one, you know, um, it's really painful. Um, and so they've been great with that. I will, I will also say that being a business owner and, and being a gym owner in particular, making sure that I take care of myself wellness wise. And, you know, I, I had, I actually created a little gym in my office. <laughs> I, I, I have a bench in there and I have some dumbbells and I didn't care if I had 20 minutes for lunch or I had an hour and a half for lunch. I, I worked out over lunch every day and tried to make sure that I was physically taking care of myself. I tried to stay on top of my food because I know for me, like in terms of my mental health, eating right and exercising is paramount. Um, and I know that I, things can quickly get out of control when I'm not doing those two things. So I tried to really make sure that I stayed on top of those two. If, if everything else fell to the wayside, it was fine. I could exercise and, and eat right. Um, and then in the interim, I've been spending some time. We traveled, my family, um, we went to Greece, which was really, really great. Spending time with them, spending time with my kids and, you know, trying to balance getting some work done with working on sort of decompressing from session and working on some hobbies and, and stuff like that. It is nice that we have a long interim because it allows us to get work done and also get some space between session and the next session. Um, because it, it took, uh, at least a month, I would say after session ended for me to like completely calm down. Cause it was re the session was tough. Like it was so tough and I was so burned out. I think by the end of it, that, um, that it's nice to have that break in between to focus on other things. Um, you know, with the business, it's, it's really difficult. My husband has basically taken over pretty much all my responsibilities because during session, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't coach anymore. I couldn't get to the gym. Um, so he's taken care of, of a lot of that and thank goodness for him and his patients because I wouldn't be able to do it, uh, without him. So, um, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an ongoing process of learning, you know, how much again, accessibility is appropriate with people. And, you know, I used to, I used to spend time reading all of my emails and, and again, now I just have it filtered through staff and they bring me stuff. So, you know, I, I'm still learning, 
what the right balance of, of all of that is. But I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job reading books. You know, I've spent some time reading during the interim. It helps me relax. Um, so I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a believer that government and civic institutions should be run like a business. I think it's a totally forced paradigm. So I'm just going to acknowledge that. Uh, when I ask you, however, what have you learned in your life, not least as an entrepreneur, but what have you learned in your life that has made you feel equipped to be a leader in an elected position? And vice versa, what do you think from, from your experience in the legislature might filter into your own personal and professional life? I would say my experience as a business owner doesn't necessarily provide me with what the infrastructure should look like in government. Cause I agree with you that it's, it's not running a business is not the same as running a governmental institution, but at the same time, it provides me with an understanding of what it feels like to be an employer, um, what it feels like to pay those taxes. What, I mean, what, what all of that looks like from an employer's perspective, but, it, but I think the main thing that I took from being a business owner was that regardless of your political affiliations or political beliefs that at the end of the day, people just want to live a good life. Um, we all want the same things. You know, I had so many in-depth conversations with clients at the gym is that's, that's the great thing about our business is it's, you know, we're a smaller boutique style gym. Um, and so we have a very, our clients are very close with us. They're very close to each other. It's a t kind of a tight knit community. And, you know, I would get to really know people and, and have really sometimes heated conversations with, with clients. Um, it was great because it forced me to think about things from different perspectives. It, it also forced me to figure out how do you, how do you navigate really difficult conversations with people that you don't want to piss off, right? <laughs> These people are paying me, you know? Um, I, I don't want them to be mad at the end of the day when they leave here. A lot of them come to the gym to relax and, and to, you know, they just want to exercise. They, you know, some of them love to talk about politics though, or, or they like to talk about daily life. And eventually we get into politics and um, so I think that was the main thing was it, it, it forced me to learn how to navigate tough conversations with people who don't agree with me. Um, it, it taught me how to connect deeply with people. And I think that that was the most important thing that I learned again, I'm naturally introverted. So it took me some years of being in front of people, um, to be comfortable with, talking about certain things. And so that was the biggest thing. It's less of a business perspective and more of a people. How do you, how do you talk to people? I mean, that's politics, right? How do you talk to your colleagues? How do you talk to your constituents and how do you come to an agreement about something that, you, that initially you disagree on or, or, you know, compromise, um, you know, and what does that mean? And what does that look like? And are you okay with that? And, and all of those different types of things. And, and there's going to be times where you're going to piss people off and, and are you okay with that? Um, how do you deal with that? You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's so hard because it's like, 
it's so frustrating. Like that place is so frustrating. (laughs) I think it doesn't make you jaded or any of those types of things, but it definitely opens your eyes a little bit to the fact that, you know, just being kind to people isn't always going to solve. It's not going to, it's not going to bridge that gap. You know, like you got to figure out other substantive ways to bridge that gap um, and to have a conversation with a colleague that you are on opposite ends of the spectrum with. And, and I think that, I think that being kind and respectful and understanding where people come from and being willing to move around in your position a little bit and then working to pull them closer to you is really important. Um, But what does that look like? And it can't always just look like being kind to people. Like what are the other ways to really uh, come to, to a solution when there's, you feel like there's no answers. I want to say something, but you are all that I see. You got dynamite, that smile's gonna be the end of me. I bet you taste like chocolate. Can I have it for free? I'm an explosion, that smile's gonna be the end of me. I wanna say something, but you are all that I see. You got dynamite, that smile's gonna be the end of me. I bet you taste like chocolate. Can I have it for free? I'm an explosion, that smile's gonna be the end of me. That smiles, that smiles, that smiles, gonna be, gonna be the end of me. I wanna say something, but you are all that I see. You got dynamite, that smiles gonna be the end of me. I bet you taste like chocolate. Can I have it for free? I'm an explosion, and that smiles gonna be the end of me. You cannot lie over on my tie. You cannot lie over on my tie. You cannot lie over on my tie. Let's take each other out. For my benefit, yes. After the day after the presidential election, I was quite distressed, and so my wife and I went for a long walk in Fontenelle Forest, and. Um, I was distressed because it seemed pretty clear that Biden was going to win, but I was distressed because it wasn't overwhelmingly obvious that that was the case already. And I was distressed that more than um, 70 million of, of my fellow citizens thought that Donald Trump was a better option. And I found that really worrying. And in that context, I really was becoming a misanthrope and thinking that, you know, who cares about people? Because mm-hmm. why should I care? I'm very pessimistic. And so my question for you is, what gives you hope that we can thrive as communities, as Nebraskans? You're in a position of real influence in that regard. What gives you hope? I mean, I think we all kind of felt that way. I, and, I, you know, to be totally honest, Stuart, I definitely have those misanthrope moments myself where I'm like, what's the point? <laughs> what are we even doing? You know, um, but I always have to bring myself back to the idea that over the longer span of time, we are consistently going in the correct direction. I read a book by um, Pinker. Um, and I always tell everybody about this book and I cannot think of the name of it right now. It's like enlightenment something. 
but basically he's a he's a researcher sociologist and his the whole concept of the book is that we have these high moments in history we have these low moments in history but over the longer span of time progress is what happens we are progressing to be totally honest i think that maybe we're in one of those low moments right now but that doesn't mean that that's forever it's not permanent and as soon as we lose hope that things are going to get better then they win right like i mean that's just the truth is you know there's been so many times where living in nebraska is really hard as a progressive you know it's hard to look around and feel like you don't fit in and people don't understand who you are and what you think and to feel like there's you know, you're always working against something. So it's like, well, I'm going to leave, you know, I'm going to move over here because it's a more progressive and that would be great. Right. It would feel great to, to live in a neighborhood full of people who, who, you know, felt the same way you do about certain things. Um, but also at the same time, if we leave, who's going to be here to fight for our kids and, you know, our grandkids or, or other people's kids and their grandkids, like, if we if we lose sight of the fact that like it's our job it, like it's really hard to be the one shouldering the burden of making things better for future generations but what else are you going to do with your life right you know like it's you know there's definitely days where you just think you can't do it anymore but at the same time it's it's like well at the end of the day, I really want to be able to feel like I'm doing something that's going to make people's lives better. If nobody else is going to do it, then I have to do it. And I have to know that, that that's a serious responsibility and that it's going to come with some really tough moments. Um, but I think, you know, I, I don't know that anything gives me hope other than knowing that progress is is what happens over the longer span of time as much as i just have to hold on to that hope and know that like we're here to do the work and and as soon as we give up they win so i have to make sure that there's going to like i know there's going to be days that that are going to be really tough but i can't give up because other people are depending on me to not give up right and that's really important so remembering that like it's not just about you you know we're just a tiny little blip in in the span of human existence and my pain and and the difficulty of being here and dealing with this is far smaller than the importance of making things better for future generations right um and sometimes it's like Again, I have those days too, but it's like, you just got to like, I got to suck it up because that's, that's the job, right? That's part of the job. You know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's like a calling or anything, but like, you just got to hope is hope is what keeps us going. Once you start working on it, it provides you with some motivation and, and, um, you know, action begets motivation, right? I think we get stuck in these moments of of not doing anything and feeling like the world is falling apart. And those, that's okay. You have those moments, but you got to get back on the horse and, and keep going in the right direction for other people. Thank you for being on the horse. If I can borrow that metaphor. <laughs> it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. <laughs>
My guest today has been Senator Jen Day, entrepreneur and Nebraska State Senator for District 49 and the area of West Sarpy County. Senator Day, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Stuart. It was really lovely. Should I do guitar lessons? <laughs> totally, yes. <laughs> you never know. Who knows? You know, you might end up with an arm full of tattoos and you could be playing guitar on stage here in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's cool. It's... <laughs> the end of this week's show you can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at livesradioshow the music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey I'm your host Stuart Chittenden and this is Live's radio show and podcast join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture community and more Thank you.